Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, let's jump in. So we're going to do a review, and the review is going to just run right into a continuation from last week. So last week we opened up a new series, and the theme for the year, uh, the word renew. Um, There are many verses of Scripture that talk about renewal. Uh, A couple of the most famous ones, David in the book of Psalms, after his sin with Bathsheba, he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. Isaiah 40, 31, some of you will recognize this if you've been around church any length of time, but those who hope or wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And we'll likely revisit these uh, and some other passages that deal with being renewed. But today I want to continue from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, One of the definitions we said last week of the word renew, or really two of them, one of them is renovation, and the other one is a change, a complete change for the better. So last week, we spent some time answering the question, why do I need to renew my mind? Why do I need to renovate the way that I think? And part of the answer is found in the first part of the verse. We spent extended time talking about the word conform. The root word for the word conform in Romans chapter 12, 2, the Greek word is schema, and it means habitus, which is a word most of us weren't familiar with. But the biblical definition of habitus is this. It means as comprising everything in a person which strikes the senses. The figure, the bearing, discourse, actions, manner of life, etc. Oxford describes habitus this way. It's the con- it says the concept of habitus was proposed as an integral part of behavior reflected in a way of being, including ways of seeing, moving, talking, and so on. It's a slightly different verbiage, but it's relaying the same concept as the biblical definition. I mean, it's the new year. Billions of people around the world are setting resolutions and trying to create new and healthy habits. And you can see how these words are closely related. Habitus and habit, very, very similar. But a habit is often something that you do while your habitus is who you are. It's a way of being, which again is very important language. If we're going to experience the transformation part of Romans 12, verse 2, which we haven't even gotten to yet, it's not going to come from creating new habits. It's going to come from creating a new habitus. It's not going to come from a new way of doing. It's going to come from a new way of being. Some of you remember a few months ago and then again last week, we talked about we have to be people who are that, that we have to be about being before doing. Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro says this, when we are unhealthy, we engage in more activities than our combined spiritual, physical, and emotional reserves can sustain. We give out for God more than we receive from God. 
Too many followers of Jesus are chronically overextended. We're chronically doing more for Jesus than our inner life can sustain. And it's become normal for us to be overloaded, depleted, and exhausted. And this is why the answer isn't just new habits or a better way of doing things. The answer is found in a complete renewal or a renovation of our mind. Now, here's the scary part about habitus, and then I'm going to move on into some different material. And this is why it's translated conformed. The habitus is a set of norms and expectations that's unconsciously acquired. It's unconsciously acquired by individuals through experience and socialization and then internalized as second nature. In other words, our way of being is often acquired unconsciously. So when Paul is telling us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, he's telling us to not allow our way of being, who we are, to be formed by the social constructs around us. Our being must come from a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. And out of that flows everything else. Interestingly, interestingly while I was studying this, I came across the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word schema or habitus. And the, pronunci- the pronunciation is pothal. And there are two definitions that I wanted to point out for the Hebrew uh, counterpart of the Greek word schema or habitus. Number one was hinges, and the second one was secret parts. A couple of years ago, we gave all of our volunteers a hinge as a token for all they'd done throughout the year. Do you guys remember that? Uh, It was a hinge, and on on the side of it, it said pivotal. And we talked about how the hinge is symbolic for all of the hidden things that were done. Because there are all kinds of things that are, there are moving parts that we don't see every Sunday or every time we're together. There are people doing things that we don't see. And we talked about how the hinges are so vitally important to what we do. And so we gave those away as a token. See, hinges are often unseen, but without them, the doors can't open or close. And we say things like everything hinges on X, Y, or Z. In other words, our habitus or our way of being is the hinge that allows us to move from one position to another properly. Without the hinge in its proper place, the door cannot operate the way that it was intended to. So let me say it another way. Without our way of being in its proper place, nothing else in our lives will be able to function the way that it was intended to. Because everything hinges on our way of being or our habitus or the way that we are conformed. The other definition from the Hebrew counterpart of habitus was secret parts. Again, another way of saying be before you do. Because if our secret lives are out of order, eventually it will reveal itself in our public lives. I mean, this should be Christianity 101. I mean, this is really the most basic of concepts. But as I've said many times, often we don't need more information. We need to do something with the information that we already have. Our culture is training us to only show the best parts of ourselves. This speaks to the very point that I'm trying to make. Remember, the habitus is formed often unconsciously. It's acquired through our experience and socialization. See, we are unconsciously being trained by society to only worry about the outer or the public life while simultaneously neglecting our inner life or our way of being. Our inner lives are so out of sync with our outer lives that we no longer, we're, no, we're no longer even shocked or barely even saddened 
when scandals take place. And the saddest part is that Christianity is really hard to differentiate from the world. Affairs and adultery, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. And no one's surprised anymore when a politician or a community leader or a pastor is caught doing something that used to be considered immoral. But all of this is only a symptom of a disease. It's the fruit, not the root. And until the root is healed, the fruit will always be sick. Let me say it another way. Until the inner life is healed, the outer life will always be symptomatic. Fits of rage and outbursts of anger are symptoms of an inner life that hasn't been fully healed. Lust and perversion, gossip, lying, betrayal, addiction, unforgiveness, all outward symptoms of an inner life that hasn't been fully healed. Now, look, I don't think we're ever going to reach a state where we no longer mess up. Look, until Jesus comes to get us or we die and go to heaven, we will always have to fight temptation. Some of you are better at overcoming temptation than I am. Some of you maybe go long periods of time and don't mess up. I don't know. But for me, I feel like it's, you know, I'm just always got to be fighting. Jesus fought temptation. What makes us think we're not going to have to? But the reality is, is that we should be failing less today than we did yesterday. Our, our failures should be fewer and farther between. Until our habitus or our way of being is formed through deep relationship with Jesus and a renovation of thought, we will never experience the transformation that Paul is talk about, talking about. Romans 12, 2, do not conform. In other words, don't allow your way of being to be unconsciously formed. Don't, be, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His will is His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what does it mean to be transformed? The word transformed in this passage of Scripture is the Greek word metaphor, uh, metamorpho. And it means to change into another form. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. See, transformation is to completely change form. It's a change from being one thing to a completely different thing. Now, there are all kinds of transformations that we read about in Scripture. Not all of these examples, when you read the word transform, are the same Greek word metamorpho. But the principle is the same in in a lot of those passages. The first and probably most important is the transformation of our spiritual lives. When we go from being dead in our sins to being raised to life in Christ. And before I read these next few passages, it's important for us to understand that we are made up of three parts. Right. We are spirit, soul and body. We are three separate parts, but yet we are still one person. We are we are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. We are a living representation of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings, yet one in the same, just as we are made up of three parts, yet one. Now, the biblical definition of soul, the, the condensed short version, is mind, will, and emotions. There's more to it than that, and I'm going to come back to this concept in another message. But I wanted to take a brief moment and just present this idea to you, because it's important to understand that all, not all transformation is the same. And I'm going to briefly show you three Areas of transformation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read a few verses from the letter that Paul wrote to the church 
in the first century in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love Ephesians 2.10. What's he saying here? First of all, we owed a debt. We were deserving of wrath, the scripture says. But because God is rich in mercy and because he loves us so much, which we just sang about, he made another way. So if you have accepted the finished work of Jesus on the cross, which Lewis talked about the first Sunday of the year, you are no longer dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead, but through the grace of God, you have been made alive in Christ from death to life. Transformation. Do you see that? 2 Corinthians 5.17, very famous verse of Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you see the transformation? From old to new. So what kind of transformation is this? Spirit, soul, or body? Spirit. I'm asking again. Now you know the answer. What kind of transformation is this? Spirit, soul, or body? Spirit. This is a spiritual transformation. I want to move on to 1 Corinthians, another letter that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is not that our physical bodies, now here's a clue to what we're talking about, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Now these two words, transformed here, are another Greek word called alasso, and it means to change or to exchange one thing for another, to transform. For the exact, not the exact same word used in Romans 12 too, but principally it's the same he goes on, verse 53, For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. All right? So what kind of transformation are we talking about here? Physical, our body. So we're talking about spiritual transformation. And now we're talking about body transformation. So what does that have to do with anything? It's important for us to understand what kind of transformation is being talked about. And secondly, and probably more importantly, is we need to understand who is doing the transformation. 
Spiritual transformation can only come from God. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. You read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13. Likewise, body transformation only comes from God. Some of you are like, oh yeah, put me on a prayer list. <laughs> but this isn't talking about our physical in, in as much as like, like exercise and eating right. The verses that we read were specifically talking about when we transition from earth to heaven. Our physical bodies must be transformed into a spiritual body in order to experience the full glory of God. So what's left? We've talked about spiritual transformation. We've talked about transformation of the body. The only one remaining is transformation of the soul. Let's look again at Romans 12 too. Do not conform. In other words, don't allow your way of being to be unconsciously formed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now remember, the biblical definition, the condensed version, we'll revisit this and expound on it, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so the transformation that we read about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is transformation of the soul or of the mind. Okay, now here's why I took the scenic route all the way around here. It's because spiritual, again, spiritual transformation only comes from God. Body transformation, when we die, only comes from God or when Jesus comes back to get us. But soul transformation comes from us. See, if you are a follower of Christ, your spirit has been transformed. And one day when you die or Christ comes back to get us, your body will also be transformed. You have nothing to do with either one of those things. But only you can decide if there's going to be a transformation of your soul. And maybe you're saying, what difference does this make? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Because the reality is, is our mental and emotional health or our soul health is a key component to our spiritual health. If you can imagine for a moment an iceberg, and we've all heard facts and stories about icebergs, how what you see at the surface is only 10% of the actual iceberg. Thus sayings like, well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Our lives are similar in nature. The outward life is really just the tip of the iceberg. The inward life is like everything beneath the surface. And more often than not, it's what lies underneath the surface that wreaks havoc above the surface. The link between the health of our spirit and the health of our soul is inseparable. We cannot be mature spiritually while remaining immature emotionally. We might be gifted on our job. We might be gifted in the ministries or whatever that we do, but at home we're a detached spouse or an angry parent. We might spend daily time in Scripture, yet we remain unteachable, insecure, and defensive. We might be able to quote the, Bible, quote the Bible front to back or verse by verse, but we remain unaware that the way we react or overreact to others creates hurt. We might fast and pray regularly or incorporate all kinds of other spiritual dis disciplines, but we remain, we remain critical of others and we justify it as discernment. We might be hurt 
by unkind words that are spoken to us. But we say nothing because we avoid conflict at all costs. We might serve in multiple areas of the church or the community and yet remain resentful because there's no time for family or healthy self-care or soul care. We might look great in front of others, but we rarely share our struggles or weaknesses. These are all signs that there's something going underneath the iceberg that needs to be dealt with so that the tip of the iceberg, the outer life, can be transformed. Transformation on the deepest level starts with renewing our mind. It starts with a renovation of the way that we think. Romans 12.2 is telling us that we can, we can experience complete metamorphosis. We can go from being one way to a different way. I'm not talking about the spiritual aspect. right? We're separating that from where we are because God wants to do a deep work inside of our souls, inside of our minds. Think caterpillar to butterfly. To go from crawling and just inching by to flying as a beautiful butterfly. Or one of my favorite examples of metamorphosis, although not nearly as beautiful, tadpole to frog. (laughs) Just as the tadpole transforms from a creature who swims and breathes through gills underneath the surface to a land creature with lungs, we too are undergoing such a metamorphosis. When we come to Christ... The transformation begins. But many of us are trying to live in a world that we're no longer meant to live in. We no longer have gills, but we're still trying to breathe under the water. Meanwhile, we're choking to death. We say things like, I feel like I just can't catch my breath. That's because we're trying to live in two different worlds. We're trying to breathe under the surface or under the water, so to speak. But God is calling us to live above the surface. We have to begin to see ourselves as a new creation. God is calling us today to come up from underneath the surface. Stop gasping for air. It's time to breathe again. Some of you were on the journey, but allowed life and circumstances to tell you who you are. Your habitus, your way of being was being formed by outward forces and people. Your habitus, your way of being, we cannot allow that to be defined by the culture around us. Just because you're surrounded by caterpillars doesn't mean that you're not a butterfly. Just because you got some brothers and sisters who are still swimming and they're still in a tadpole form doesn't mean that you should be down there trying to breathe the same air. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His pleasing and perfect will. There's a, a former pastor I follow. His name's Kerry Newhoff. He sends, uh, he's a blogger and a podcaster. And, and Adrian, you can come and play. Um, he sent out 
a blog out that I read just yesterday, and I thought it was just so timely in what we were talking about. And he, was, it wasn't, he wasn't using the same language that I'm using, but he was talking about something similar. And then he was talking about our character and how we are. And he gave nine things, and I should have put them all nine in here. But see if he could relate to any, any of this. He was talking about how you can tell the character of a person by how they respond when they go to the trash can and it's full. They were like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, some of you are more sanctified than me. Have you never gone to the trash can? It'd be overflowing. And you're like, dude, why didn't the last person who put this cup in that's now falling on the floor take the trash out? Has anybody else ever thought that? And he goes on and he lists these nine things that are seemingly insignificant in a lot of ways. He's talking about how you can tell a lot about a person's character by what they do with the shopping cart after they load their groceries into their car. He goes through this list. But really what he's speaking to are symptoms of a soul that's not been healed. Because a Christ follower can be saved and going to heaven, but yet living a miserable life because they refuse to renovate the way that they think about things. We refuse to deal with the emotional side of our lives and then our lives are just in complete chaos. What are your triggers? What sets you off? Is it the trash overflowing? Is it the... Is it a sink full of dishes? Is it opening up the dishwasher and all the dishes are clean? And you're like, why didn't we just put the dishes away? And maybe that feels insignificant in a lot of ways. But the truth is, is these little things, these little triggers that we experience are signs of areas in our heart that haven't been healed. And you're like, dude, you're getting, I'm not here for therapy. Like, but the re, that, that's where we live. We ignore all of these little signs. And then one day something happens and we explode at our kids or we explode at, at our spouse or we explode on the job or we're flipping off the guy who just cut us off with road rage or whatever happened. One of the books that I recently read, it was a pastor who talks about how He'd gone through a, a church split. They had a Spanish congregation and there was multiple hundred people that were a part of their church. And then something happened in the Spanish church. They, they parted ways. And on the front side, he was very, oh, we're going to send them out and God's going to bless them. And he was, but inside he was angry and bitter. And he showed this front of mercy and grace. And he told the story about how he would drive down the road and something would trigger him and he'd just begin to curse almost uncontrollably. I would just come up out of him. He said, I'd become that guy. I'd become the cursing pastor. But in the front, he was like, oh, bless them and bless that and God's going to do this and we're going to sow them out a seed and God's going to... I'm saying that to say is we all have things that we deal with and if we minimize that, then we'll never, we'll never experience the transformation that Paul is talking about. Because we have to look deep on the inside.
it's not something I have completely figured out. I have triggers in my life, things that happen, and I'm just... But I'm asking God, okay, God, why? Okay, this happened or that happened or this situation is really insignificant if you take the big overview of it and look at it from a different perspective. But I'm still feeling some kind of way over this. Like, what's going on? Because I want to lead from a healthy soul. But more importantly than that, I want to be healthy between me and God. Something I'm incorporating into my devotional time. I was talking to Brent about this this morning. Um, and I'm starting small. And I'm sure this is going to make its way to a sermon at some point. But it's just silence. Five minutes. I set a timer on my phone. I'm doing five minutes of silence. I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. Like I'm, and my mind is going a million miles an hour. And I guess that's why we need the silence. But I don't, I don't put on music. And I like to do that. Sometimes I like to just kind of sit in the presence of the Lord, listening to some anointed music. But this is nothing. Sometimes I put my, my AirPods on noise cancellation. So I can't, all I can hear is myself breathing in my heartbeat, you know. But I'm working through in that moment of silence, listening for the voice of God. doing inward work, looking to try to see, okay, God, what do you want to show me in this moment where I'm just quiet before you? And if five minutes doesn't sound like a lot of time, it's because it's not a lot of time, but it's very hard to just sit there. I'm like, do I close my eyes? Do I not close my eyes? Do I talk to God? Do I not talk to God? Do I, you know, I'm just going through this million, you know, it's like I spent four and a half minutes about just like, and then I got 30 seconds of actual silence. I'm like checking the timer. Like how much time is left? Oh, it's 10 seconds left. I can do that. I'm just saying that to say that I don't have this whole thing completely figured out. But I think that God is inviting us to join him on a journey of transforming the way that we think. And it may look different. See, it's going to be a renovation of thought. It's going to have to, we're going to look at things differently. We have to do things differently. Look, What's the old saying, you know, insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And I don't know if you've ever been that way in your life where you're just like, maybe you feel that right now. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe you're like, dude, just let's pray and let's go. You know, I, I don't know what, you're, what you might be thinking, but f for me, I've been, I've been in church my entire life. My mom took me as a baby and. You know, I'm one of those guys that's got the stories of getting pinched and your ear pulled and all the things, you know, and getting the dirty looks when you try to sit with your friends because you're talking. And I have a lifetime of hearing people talk about these, some of these same verses that we talked about today, but also a lifetime of struggle because nobody taught me that I have to deal with the things that are on the inside. I want our church to be a church that's healthy that we be before we do, that we understand who we are in Christ and out of that flows everything else. And the moment that our doing begins to supersede our being, we have to reel it in and slow it down. And that feels very counterintuitive. We did that last year personally in, in you know, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20. So for 
five years, we had done an outdoor Christmas movie where we invited people and Santa Claus was here and all this kind of stuff. Some of you asked me, like, why aren't we doing that? Some of you didn't notice that we didn't do it. We have so many new people that you wouldn't have known anyway, but it's this big, you know, event that we've done. But we decided, I decided early on as we were headed into December, as I was preparing my heart to be renewed as we moved into 22, I was like, you know what, we need to do something different. Katie was experiencing the migraines and there was all kinds of stuff. And we were just doing, doing, doing. And we needed to have a season of trying to be, trying to figure out what God wanted to say to us. And it feels counterintuitive in a lot of ways because we had a lot of new people and we could have, we could have, uh, uh, sent a lot of people, you know, we could have activated a lot of people into serving positions, which seems like what a church should be doing. This person and that person who's never served, we could get them involved and we could serve the community. We can meet these needs and we can do all the stuff and we can catch some more momentum as we move into 22 and let's go. We can do it. So it was counterintuitive, but I had to slow down. And that's what renewing in a lot of ways is about. It's slowing down so that we can go faster. It's slowing down so that we can go further. It's finishing the race strong. I don't want to just keep running at breakneck speed. When we run at warp speed, we warp our soul. And that's not what God God has intended for us. He wants a a renovation of the way that we think so that we can be transformed. Metamorphosis. To come up from out, to come up from underneath the surface to the land. Let's pray. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.